so I have hit the point in my perpetual uh, self-improvement in our current circumstance where I actually cook like an adult again. Like, I've learned to make decent ramen. I've made gyudon. All the weeaboo staples. Oh, fantastic. I've um, I've been I've been doing a little bit of that. It's been a whole lot of chicken because, uh, you know, it's affordable. There's a lot of it in the package and shit like that. I made I made caramel chicken, which is this, like, kind of, like, Kung Pao adjacent thing that I know how to do. Uh, but it fucks up your cast iron. I don't know why you're supposed to cook it in the cast iron. So that it so it gets hot enough, you know, that it caramelizes or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. But like if you cook sugary shit in a cast iron, there's like not quite a cup of sugar, uh brown sugar in this recipe, right? Mm-hmm. Then um it melts and it sticks to the goddamn thing. So like now like my perfectly seasoned cast iron, my child is just sitting there with all sorts of sticky shit on the sides wow, of it Wow, your now, cast iron part. is sitting there saying, you said you loved me. And you have to look down I, at it um, and say, Stella, it's going to be better next time. I'm going to cook better food on you. I'm going to clean you better. Please love me, Stella. Please, don't go. Next time I'm using my fucking, um, my Dutch oven, because it is, what's the fucking word? Um... It's la- not laminated. That's that's plastic. It's uh, I think laminated is what you do to a decent report card in middle school, if memory serves. Something in that genre. It's got glaze, like the ceramic glaze that like makes it easier to clean and shit like that, and easier to see. Oh, what you're doing. so it's like a middle um, school art project, like some of that pottery I made yes. and my mom pretended was good. Yes, except it cost three hundred dollars. Well, those are just the taxes going towards your public school. <laughs> um, no, so <laughs> just next kidding. Time I make we this didn't recipe, pay taxes. <laughs> I legitimately think my dad might be in jail for that. Like, I have no idea what like, he's up to. Like, he could be on Mars. He could be in Wuhan. He could be just on one oh, of yeah, those didn't, cruise didn't ships. Did you say something like he was going there or something? Or am I, or am I remembering someone else? No, his wacky thing was that he went down to the south out of nowhere. Huh. I don't know who went to, who went to China that we know in our orbit. Yeah, someone I know, someone in my orbit, like, actually just went to, like, Wuhan, Wuhan, like, sometime in November, I want to well. say. And I cannot remember. Yeah, right? Um, tough break. Yeah, don't take their business advice. Yeah. Not necessarily um, but, um, um, bad education, but definitely bad luck or bad instincts. Or maybe God just hates them a little. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, I don't know, spiritually aligned uh, agnostics and atheists like to talk about the universe. Sometimes the universe is giving you a plague of frogs and locusts or just a plague of plague. Just the regular kind. Kind of boring. Nothing too amazingly flashy. Kind of boring. Not uh, as flashy one, like, as like, like a, a skin colony condition. slamming through your atmosphere, wiping out half of the human life on it. Oh, are we done with the banter? <laughs> At some point, we need to acknowledge the uh, robotic elephant in the room or weird elephant-looking robot built by Xeon. Xeon really gets experimental with the mech designs. It's an interesting distinction they build between the... Uh, I don't know, engineering personalities of the two factions. It gets weirder and weirder as the series go on. Not weirder, but like more, we'll say idiosyncratic as the series go on. Oh Um, yeah, what was the one with the, what's the name of the one that has the big triangular base that looks like a dress sort of kilt thing? I think you're talking about the Kublai? Uh, Haman Karns, you know, kind of like big, sort of freely looking, looking motherfucker. Oh, I'm sorry, the other one with the thing that looks like sort of a dress, like more of like uh, all the way down to the gown, like it doesn't have feet, it just floats. Oh, that's the Jiang. Yeah, that, the like, Jiang. That's we're getting ahead of we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here because the Jiang shows up in um, like towards the end of this series right here. So we can we can leave discussion of that particular mobile suit to uh. To later on down the true, line. True, true. Uh, That's a couple episodes from now. pure end game. That's around when, you know, Thanos gets his head chopped off. I'm going to close my door real quick because wind chimes are coming in. And as cool as it would do, be to, you know, reproduce the late series' new type sound effect, I think that might uh, get on some people's tits. So I'm going to close that real quick. Hold on. You got the, uh, the wind chimes on your end, and I've got the arbitrary bathtub gurgling on my end. 
I don't uh, know if like everyone's bathtub does this, but mine certainly does. Like, uh, like I want to say half of the apartments I've ever lived in has had the the arbitrary bathtub gurgling, and it goes on for a couple minutes, and I don't know what causes it because I'm not a plumber and I do not have any sort of experience with that sort of thing. But it's is it like the ghost of a thousand thousands of showers? That's my running theory. I like to call them possessed pipes. Possessed, but yeah, yeah, it's, that's. I mean, like, I, I think I more or less understand why radiators make noise, but like, just drains doing thing that you know, perplexed me just. Yeah, a I, I hear it. Then uh, I think but, did somebody drown on this property at some point. Is is that what we're getting here? I mean, this is a pre-war building, so I, like, I have to imagine at some point. You know, it's like this. I think I looked it up. This was built in 1921, 1923. So it's early, early 20s. Um, ah. At least f- I'm going to like put it in the neighborhood. Five people have died in this apartment building, maybe in this particular apartment. It's got like it's got a good number of units. I want to say it's like somewhere in the 60s. So, well, you dodge double digits, so it's not super haunted, but it's moderately haunted. Enough that like the, the rent goes down by $200, and they say you can yeah, put that, that the fucking day. money towards a specialist priest. But yeah, I guess we're going to get started with uh, talking about Gundam in earnest. But first, a plug from our sponsor, uh, SeemoreEvil.com. Yes, SeemoreEvil.com. Hey, wait a minute. I think the eight episodes that we covered uh, for this one is kind of, they're not the best eight episodes of the series, but they do have a couple of my favorite episodes of the series because they do have like the two, two of, I want to say the best moments of, you know, all of, uh, you know, 79, which is of course the death of Garmazabi and uh, which, you know, is iconic it kind of changed anime. A hilarious moment on multiple intentional levels, too, which is nice. Like, I spend a lot of time just making jokes at things that aren't intentionally funny. It's nice to have something that just has a real, just grim underlay of intentional fucking irony. And there's a character laughing with you. and All the way to the sociopathic <laughs> bank. I don't know if we were ever expected to root against Char Aznable after that, because... He just had such flair leading up to that moment, right? Just this irresistible flair leading up to that moment. He was clearly smarter than he was a monster, right? Um, you know, he had he had style, and then and then he does this. That's actually a question. So when it comes to these uh, older forty-two to fifty core, sh- I mean, episode shows, right? Question mm-hmm. to you, since you're more plugged in on this kind of thing. Yeah, in the production of these things, like. Do these only come out when all of these episodes are done, or are they sort of seeing the reception of the first 10 when they're working on, like, episode 30 or something? A lot has changed over the years. I don't really know what the pipeline looked like back then. Um, I I do know that these days, right, they will finish whatever the length the season is and then air it. Um, just have the whole thing just done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about then. I know um, for a fact that as early as the 90s, right? Because Neon Genesis Evangelion is what I'm going to um, reference now. I know that. Oh, that's the story. That's have... the show about the kid who stands in the dark room, right? And then people put memes on it. He, he does a whole lot of that darker. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that they were done with the final episode by the time um, they aired the first one, I think. But again, don't quote me on that. I'm fairly certain this is the case. Got it. I won't um, quote you on it. I won't excerpt that and put it on Instagram for the world to hear. Because I don't know if they just like spent most of their budget up front on that series and then we got the elevator scene later because they didn't have any money okay, left. So the only reason I bring up this whole episode timing thing is that I watch way too much pro wrestling. So part of me almost likes to imagine the people seeing the reaction to blame it on the circumstances of your birth and just seeing the reaction going, oh my god, he's so over, push this guy to the moon. (laughs) 
fuck gear and we have our new final boss built in right here because that's an amusing uh, no, scenario for, for me I, to uh... imagine like obviously tomino is a uh expert writer so he probably has way more of a long view approach than that but it's fun to pretend well here's here's some evidence that i have that maybe um that maybe it was not all done in one batch is i'm going to reference i'm going to reference double zeta here in double zeta right um you notice that the front half of that series is deeply fucking silly um this was mostly because after Zeta Gundam, the network, I think... The network said, hey, we've been doing some market testing, the, and uh, Hope the tests network was really like, what well. What the fuck was that, asshole? You know, we, it seems audiences are really into Hope, and if you could just like sprinkle some of that in, around the... Maybe just a Everything going hope. forward, that would be great. So so what ends up happening, right, is they... Um, is he makes the show the show kind of silly? It is definitely not in line for what his vision for this series, you know, like is right. Uh, but you know, he plays ball, and then I think um, halfway through or so, he gets confirmation that yeah, they'll give him the money to make Char's counterattack. So he was like, okay, fuck it, I'm not holding out for that anymore. So then he has it be a Gundam series for the rest of the show. Yeah, that one, um, uh, which really makes me believe up. that um, that they were kind of doing this a little bit more, you know, like not episode to episode, but probably core to core. There's this line in fucking episode nine, by the way. I just want to talk about this for one second because I got a little laugh out of it. After all of the chatter yeah. about genocide that preempts every episode. And this is the batch of episodes where the character of Zeon comes more into focus. Like, you see more of that neo-monarchist fashion look of theirs, and you see the royal family. Yeah, they're kind of, they're, I don't want to say generic, but like, yeah, just a little bit generic early on. They didn't really have time to just load all that exposition. Yeah, they didn't really in. color in the conflict until now, and I think it comes in well here. But there's a line here before that begins in earnest that this series immediately puts to lie, which is Fraubo saying... The Federation and Zeon are the same. No, they aren't. Are you high? No, goddammit. The Cylons have a better moral argument than Zeon. I know why Frau Bo was written to be the way she was written. Like, I, I understand it. Um, it's just so regretful that she was. Yeah, it, uh, and that we sort of have to. Um, it's not on a perfect wavelength. Like and, and like the, the the children character too that she always you know seems to be in the presence of, and it does her character no credit either because you know like I associate Frau Bo with a the dumbass lines that they give her like that, and b just the three annoying screaming children. I mean, you're right. It's like Pavlovian conditioning, only instead of a treat, you get an electric shock in the form um, of these three... I normally wouldn't describe children as shrill. That's really more of an older person adjective, but I would call these three children shrill. These three children are shrill, yeah. Um, so I'm trying I'm trying to be fair, right, to her character. Um, I'm trying to be fair to, you know, who she is as a person and what she has been through, because, you know... Amro, right? Actually just unambiguously suffering from post-traumatic stress. But yep. at the very least, he didn't see his parents you know, blown the fuck to it, shit uh, in yeah, front Frau of Yeah, Frau has the unfortunate so, distinction of the first dead parents in the franchise. Yeah, yeah, how about that? Yeah, and, um... Think about that, yeah. I mean, like, I guess... Yeah, the first on-screen dead parents in the franchise, because... Okay, yes, you know, half the parents your, uh, are dead. Half the parents of, like, literally everyone. I don't even think we ever learn about uh, Bright Noah's family. Um, just, just presumed gone. I think Bright Noah just kind of materialized one day. Just because Gundam needed the eternal captain, and the universe just sort of formed him out of star stuff. Do you think he was, like, born a lieutenant? Well, he's an ensign in this show. Um, so if he was, then, you know, he got up to some shit and got himself in trouble enough to be demoted. Yeah. But I guess 19 years before the start of this series, he sort of, um, you know, stepped into being. Um, no, he, I think it's 
I think in the supplemental material, he's mentioned as being from Earth. I think he was from Hong Kong. That sounds familiar. That's I like think the, I, rem- I think I remember that from my old wiki diving days before I discovered the sunlight and Tinder and all that shit. Yeah. So that's um. By the way, um, I just noticed in my notes for the same episode nine here. I don't know why I wrote about Frau a bunch. Maybe it's just some sort of deep seated inner sexism bubbling to the surface or something. But I wrote Frau, <laughs> an early model of simp. <laughs> so you can see I'm in a uh, deeply intellectual mode here. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I uh, the thing about Frau Bo, and this isn't just um her getting tossed, you know, obligatory lines, you know, that they had to put in there for whatever reason, uh, that you know someone had to someone had to say. This is actually just the way that she is written. I never really liked the sort of sense of propriety that she has, you know, towards Amaro. Like she sort of has decided that she is his keeper and he doesn't seem to appreciate that very much. And it is, it, it doesn't like, it's not a good look for her. Uh, it's it not a good look. Actually for her. It's not terrible her... dramatically though. Like if he just rolled with it, you might be thinking, well, this is annoying, but I guess it's at least used in a way that, well, I kind of like it as a, um, though it does nothing to make me like her. Uh, it's a very realistically written sort of, um, I don't want to say toxicity because Jesus, that it's just so fucking overused. Oh, it just rendered um, but meaningless. It's, it's a very yeah, but uh, I get what you mean though. It's been rendered meaningless, and some people do, I don't know, express their personal wound that way. That one thing does make Frau interesting and also kind of piss annoying. Is just uh, how she has decided that she is the uh, the. What would you call it? Like the, team uh, mom. the caretaker. Yeah, the the team mom, like it's just the um the guardian of Amuro's well being. And she's not very good at it, is the oh, other thing. Oh, not at because... all. And it's kind of funny to watch, I don't know, a Mirai or a Sela come through and do it effortlessly and then she just sort of sees Yeah, in yeah, the but it's Mirai. Mirai, Sela, like even Bright in his way are so <laughs> much fucking better at it than in she his is. Taekwondo method. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. I think, and it's at a time when Amuro does not need an outside stressor, given you know the the aforementioned PTSD and uh, action hero role. And we covered this a little last time, but Amuro's general behavior in terms of resisting the military lifestyle in these early episodes, particularly around that or oh, the whole nine to like 12, 12 stretch plays off a lot better now than maybe it did through the eyes of the community at the time or at large at some points. Like, he's sometimes seen as whiny. When it, when it made its way over to the States, um, it made its way over, I believe, after Neon Genesis Evangelion. And at that point, I'm pretty oh, sure... Also, the pump like, this was is, primed. This is, the pump was primed for people to uh, be angry at a character perceived as whiny, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so here's Amaro, right? Who does not want to get in the robot father. Um, and people are like, oh, not this shit again. Um, so that's, that's, I think why specifically, um, whiny characters around that time were, um, were as maligned as they were. And like, I, I'm putting whiny in quotes there because there's, um, there's this, I think there's this TV trope, right? Ryan TV tropes, they call it wanks, which is, you know, like the, the overplaying how sad a character is about, you know, whatever circumstances. And, like, I do not think that's entirely invalid. I do think that this does exist. It even exists, like, within Gundam. There are shows that do it. If I were to pull something off the top of my head. And sometimes shows like fucking Tokyo Ghoul, like it's just to focus on the weeb spectrum. Like I don't know, I could go on a fucking sitcom television all day, but that's not really useful to our purposes here. My favorite example is Shin Asuka from Gundam Seed Destiny, which again we need to fucking watch. What's the name of the one that had that that basically has the Jesus nails in his palm at all time? That's also Gundam Seed Destiny. No, that show's fucking wild. It's got like the, the, like everything went wrong. Yeah, I kind of need to see a train wreck. That. That it's, fast. A, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. But yeah, when it um, comes to the, the but, stimuli Amuro is dealing with as the uh, erstwhile child soldier, 
don't know. Thing is that, yeah, he complains. But you know what? At his age, I wouldn't complain. Instead, I'd do something that rhymes with Bezertion. <laughs> he tries it at one point. It's like, again, really hard to blame the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's around episode... But- um. That's like the tail in this chunk, right? Like around 16? Yeah. It, oh, yeah, it's literally called Omro sure. Desserts, according to my... Omro Desserts. Which is strange because it happens at the very end of the yeah. episode instead of the beginning of it. Uh, because... <laughs> I don't know. I don't... Bright has been mythologized, right? He's been lionized. People fucking love Bright. I, I love, love Bright, too. Bright. It's interesting coming back I and think he's he very not much portrayed has to as, like, perfect. Bright. Yeah, he's like a... Kind of a fucking asshole up front. He's kind of a fucking asshole. He's been uh, thrust you know, into this first... role. He is three ranks short of being prepared for. I like. I would compare him to. Um, I had a job once, right, at a place. Not everyone um, can relate to that now, Sam. Uh, and it was at a uh, location, right, where things were always. Just going so very wrong, uh, mostly because of the location. I'm being as vague as possible because I don't like to. Uh, I, I don't want to mix uh, professional with also professional, I guess. But like, whatever. Um, I get I what like you mean. To, um, like our profession, our uh, our shit talking side hustle doesn't need a uh, TM. Next the, the side to hustle it. does not need to uh, does not need to bleed into um, my you know like what ability I do for to feed a yourself. salary yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, at this place, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a boss who left, I think he left under the nose of his boss took, um, took an assignment elsewhere in the company. Right. Um, and they, they transferred someone in to replace him. Oh no. And he was not ready for the brick wall that he was about to have to ram his head up against. I think there, there was a whole lot of change ups in lower management. Like my first boss, his boss, right. Got replaced by this new guy who was the one who brought in the guy to replace my first boss. Right. Um, and that was where the problems began because the old understanding was, yeah, this place is a shit show. There's only so much that we can do to make it, you know, better. Uh, and then the new guy comes in and starts uh, starts declaring, you know, like that this is your fault. Oh boy! Um, and then he, you know, once my old boss leaves, the uh, the new boss transfers in, and he's just not emotionally prepared for it. He's not emotionally prepared for just the endless cavalcade of failure. That is running this place. Did you ever find him just crying softly and rocking back and forth in the supply closet, or no? But he was just exhausted and pissed all the time. It's like it's a classic burnout, right? So, mm. um, I think the latest report that I got on him, right, because I do not work there anymore. The latest report that I got on him is that he's given up on trying to improve the place and is now just trying to keep from getting fired. <laughs> um, right? And I'm like, yeah. Um, so <laughs> you know, it's really interesting seeing so the spiritual a- version of the breaking of the wheel. And I'm not saying that all management types deserve it; just the plurality of management types. We judge the individual here at Weeaboo Hill. What happens to Bright feels kind of like that—just the sort of journey that he goes through. Yeah, and he hasn't even um, experienced the good, good casualties yet. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. It's mostly mostly just relaying relaying to his arc early on in the series. I think like once once the experience finally like hardens him, right? Um, you know, he becomes the bright that everyone knows and loves, and just appears and appears and reappears, and is in like not literally every early UC um, series slash OVA slash movie, but he's in like most of them. I never saw narrative. I have to wonder if he showed up in that one. And while Bright starts blooming later, I have to say like episodes fucking 10 and 11 are where Char blooms here. (laughs) That's, that's where Char went from, you know, the antagonist of this series to, you know, Char as Nabal. You're all in my Monte Cristo story. 
you're all my Monte Cristo story. I am the Darth Vader of Japan. People will paint their cars red for years to come because of me. Red cars, red bicycles. Those you ever see I those uh, scooters with two that that have like a V shaped split and you have a leg on each one? Now we're painting those red too for yeah. the red comet. It's how we do business here. <laughs> it's a way of life. I guess I sh- we should lay some context here. Since we're doing episode overview anyway, and this is you know theoretically a review show instead of just a little shrine that we build in the corner to going fast on the uh, left side yeah. of the color spectrum or the right side, whatever. We have this whole oh, hot, yeah, and we, actually, I, this, there's this whole story arc that takes place in um, I guess you would call it Zeon High Society or actually, actually, it's Earth High Society, but they're occupied by Zeon, and there is this marginally unintentionally hilarious, maybe just my own sensibility subplot of this girl who was in love with one of the royal family, right? This guy named Garma. The Zeon royal family, family just for kind and. Of. She is just in love with his space Nazi baby blues. <laughs> and, you know, and fair enough. I'm sure there are people like that. Like, I'm sure someone looked at Himmler and said, oh, yeah, propaganda me. <laughs> it's when she, you know, meets with disapproval from her father, right, about this, that, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like in, in doing all this, right, I'm kind of, um, I feel like I'm watching the original Star Wars movie and then um, judging it based on, or like having my judgment be affected by extended expanded universe shit that was written twenty years later. Um, like you're wondering about because I think the Chlorian count. Sort of. It's the fact that the um that Operation English, right? The colony mm-hmm. drop. That was called Operation English. Not really Operation uh. English. Yeah. Uh, when they were, they were, what, what they were doing was they were trying to drop the colony on uh, Jaburo in um, in Brazil, which is the uh, which is the Federation High Command. It is their main military base, right? And it missed and hit Australia instead. Um, fucking continent cannot catch a break. Honest to God. Um, At least they're built to survive. So it. that's uh, if anyone that does. All we like ever if it hits really... Australia or Russia, are going to get a way higher survival percentage than I don't know <laughs> here. Like, I can really imagine um, the curling up and dying we would get up to. Maybe some rioting beforehand, just to make the situation, like, 10% worse. What, what I'm saying is that at the time, in the text itself, um, Sydney and, you know, a large part of the Australian continent surrounding it is now a crater, right? The whole, Not a fashionable way of life. Yeah, this event, the whole this event wiped out half of mankind thing that came later. They sort of decided that later. Yeah, like guess they um they do say, you know, in the opening in the opening narration to the series, right? That um, you know, both Earth and Zeon had had their populations decimated by half each, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's never really I don't know. That's still a lot. A bit of Zeon seems to be colored by Imperial Japan in that this hybrid monarchy makes this powerful opening move for an unsustainable war effort. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I always have to wonder in shit like this, and like maybe, maybe I'm getting into dangerous territory in um in in asking this, but I always have to wonder if maybe if perhaps. Zeon and how it is portrayed um, is not perhaps colored, I guess, by the cultural memories, right, present at the time of Imperial Japan. Um, And if a few of those memories, right, might not be uh, a little bit on the sympathetic side. Oh, man, if we were in a less stressful week in American history. I totally would have gone on a whole rampage just pretending to call you a bigot for 20 minutes. <laughs> like, if I wasn't convinced that your heart was three seconds away from just exploding from just the constant news fucking disaster, we would really be playing that game right now. <laughs> Everyone has a perspective from which they are creating, and 
you are oftentimes either embracing or rejecting some history. I don't think that... I don't know. When I look at Zeon, I don't think... I think that the influence is there, but I don't think it's necess- I don't think there's really a sympathetic thread to be found. Like to me, it's it almost sort of bemoans the tragedy that you have this whole government by assassination running along. We had a whole we had a whole episode of doing Dan Carlin impersonations. We're gonna we're gonna cut deep on this one, and we going on. You have this unsustainable war oh. effort. You have the component. A lot of the component parts are good people. Like that's a whole thing with Ron Barol. Like he is. In the abstract, in summary, a decent dude who is totally committed to the cause of Marcus space Nazidom. And I guess that's well, yeah, what, what lends it its the rub. gray on black morality kind of thing that Gundam trades in often. I know, I'm I'm sort of thinking to um to American, you know, like confederate apologist right who sort of like um and i'm not like i don't think that you know tomino or anyone in sunrise or i'm not i'm not actually accusing i don't do not mean to accuse anyone of of anything here right um again if you weren't close to having a fucking heart attack i would just have that instagram clip titled sam accuses tomino of fucking imperial (laughs) japan revivalism and say, aren't I a scam, um, Sam? And now I think you just fucking mail me your ear like fucking Van Gogh. <laughs> uh, but I'm, but I look at Rambaral, mm-hmm. right? And I am somewhat, I am somewhat reminded, or maybe he evokes to me, you know, an American, of like the Lost Causers, right? Um... Or, you know, like, how Virginia is just, like, fucking chock full of statues of Confederate generals. Just like, oh, man, this man. He was such a hero that fought for the Confederacy and slavery. But, yeah, mm. this man, a hero, right? Um, you mean um, agrarian volunteers, Sam, agrarian volunteers. <laughs> there are always kind of uncomfortable traces of that present in... um. And, you know, like, not just this, but, like, one or two one or two other anime that have, like, kind of a military, you know, twinge to it. Um, I know for a fact um, the novel that Unicorn Gundam was uh, based on, right, um, was written by a professed apologist of Imperial. That Japan. is wacky, and um, now I need to read that shit. I guess it becomes one of those questions of, like, ironic margin or application, but... And there are multiple anime that had this whole, like, quasi, like, military dictatorship. And I think if I were to put them on a spectrum where, like, uh, let's say FMA is neutral, where, yeah, it opposes, yeah, it ultimately opposes one or two of these central figures, but it kind of does revel in sort of this military culture. And on the worst spectrum, you have whatever that fucking isekai is called, where they're in not World War One Germany. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, that one. I would put this on the, the better end of that. I think it's more using history than reveling in the idea that there was something super noble here. I think that... And, man, this is way longer than I usually go without making some kind of half-assed joke. So let me just restore normalcy myself. Ah, uh, okay, okay, reset to normal. I think that there's something to be said for applying the associations that, that you, the, the, the built-in audience they have have of history to maybe make some point about warfare itself and these militaristic cultures. Like, if you're from that background, you're not going to, you know, lampshade hang, I don't know, Mesopotamian emperors or fucking Shays Rebellion. It's going to have shades of that thing, right? Because that's really mm-hmm. what... Because ultimately, that's really what you're going to be interested in. Like, it would be, it'd be extremely strange for me to... T- fire some broadside shots at King Tut instead of maybe looking at some of the weird shit hanging over in America's psyche in my own work. So I can... I guess I can understand the idea of of this overlay of sort of uh, that particular strain of military dictatorship. Man, there are so many flavors of military dictatorship in history. You can really just make one of those fucking soda <laughs> machines where it can put any of them together from the component juices. Yeah, I mean, I like... Okay, I will accept that. I kind of like the idea of reading Mobile Suit Gundam and a whole bunch of the military science fiction that came out around this time in anime as sort of um, 
Japan kind of reexamining and reconciling its um very recent past. Like I think at this point, uh, World War Two was thirty years in the past, right? You know, like there's a whole bunch of people who fought for the empire of japan who are like middle-aged at this point right they're still alive yeah you have um, veterans they, you just know, out like they there have kids stuck in traffic uh yeah they they have kids they have families they're telling every everyone about how things were and how things went and you know that generation right is growing up and looking at the japan of now and hearing about the japan of then and i do believe that the um, American occupation had ended at this point. Um, in fact, I believe it, it did not actually go on for that amazingly mm-hmm. long, uh, but I could be wrong, right? Um, and you've um, and you've got them knowing that they are not allowed to have an army. They've got you know a self defense force, but it's small. It's not like a standing army, right? There's a whole bunch of shit that they're just not allowed to fucking get up to, and that's there's only like a couple countries in the world that have such restrictions placed on them right now. Um, mm. Right. And, and I like thinking about, or it's interesting rather thinking about the environment that this, um, that this creates that they thus, you know, choose to work shit out in um, through you know, the medium of anime. Yeah, especially um, as someone who is just as engaged with the basic idea of human conflict as Tomino. Like, it's, I guess, the core series fixation. Well, I guess that interesting mechanical designs. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves here. It's the mechanical designs that brought here, that brought me to Gundam. But, uh, no, it's the, um, it is the ultimately kind of, um, yeah, bleak. Bleak is a word that I could use. <laughs> Not uh, inaccurate. No one's gonna say uh, that it draws. Actually, <laughs> yeah, kind of bleak conclusions that it draws about you know just humans and what it is. Is it just a, is it just the last thirty seconds of Holy Wars on loop? Just Dave Mustaine shouting mercy, killings, killings, killings. That seems to be the basic fucking philosophical conclusion of Gundam. Mm. Uh, but then again. Um, you could actually end up rejecting the message of Mobile Suit Gundam, right? And what I understand that message to be is that humans will always find a good reason to kill one another, right? Um, and they'll always find fun new ways to destroy one another, right? Um, you could end up rejecting this, uh, reading, right? By saying, no, not humans, rulers, right? So since, like, humans, right, as a, uh, as a species have never had a period in time when we weren't run by power hungry assholes. Right? Oh man, that is the best um, fucking onion article of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And it's, um, it, it's fun to kind of like talk about that, right? It's kind of, kind of fun to think about that. Like, it's um, like, is it really in our nature to destroy one another? Or is there a problem with the Zavi family and the Federation high brass just yeeting logic out the window at every possible term? What I'm what I'm uh, mostly just saying is, um, is it in the nature of you know power hungry asshole one right to want to kill power hungry asshole two or honestly not even to kill power hungry asshole two to send a bunch of his guys to kill power hungry asshole two's guys in you know an effort to you know like get one over it's a a theory of Um, uh international relations that is very much like multiplayer pac-man i don't know if you've seen those arcade booths but four people trying to eat each other when they're a bunch of ghosts that could screw them over at any given point and you know those ghosts could be famine or human tragedy but the so i think i think rulers right will always find a reason to want to kill one another or at least to one-up one another by you know sending their poor right to kill their rivals poor right um, but I don't, um, so maybe, maybe I'm just evolving my understanding of, um, mm-hmm. of the Gundam franchise, right? Because in the Gundam franchise, you've always got like all these assholes and okay people. It's like, you know, there, there are like a lot of okay up. people on the ground and a lot of assholes on both sides in very different ratios, pulling the strings mm-hmm. and you have... Uh, and you, you sort of end up with like people who are kind of there by circumstance. Um, you've got, you know, your true believers, you've got like, you've got, you know, 
the federation that has its fair share of, you know, complete fucking assholes. Um, again, not even in half the ratios. Much fancier clothing. Like a lot Zeon's of they really got. have the filigree down in Zeon. A lot of what you see in this dinner party, which I am now remembering, I was summarizing to describe Shar's oh, right, fun yeah, little like breakout moment. So remember half an hour. So ago, remember kids. half an hour ago, kids. They're essentially at this high society party for people that are either sucking up to them or hate them for wiping out half the human fucking population. Which, you know, would not hold it against you. And oh, not not if you wiped out half the human population, but if, if you hated someone for wiping out half the... Go on. And as a supposed childhood friend, I don't know, goes through this sort of intentionally silly love plot, you just get all of Shara's narration going, Yes. Fool. Soon. <laughs> Soon. So there's a specific line where he says a uh, romance on the front lines. Still, you're still just some spoiled rich kid, which is just sort of funny in light of the drivers of future conflict. So I don't know. Put that in the back pocket if you're listening. I guess um, there's just some hilariously rank hypocrisy. Like, uh, yeah, who do that shit? <laughs> oh, oh, let me die. <laughs> I also had one of those. Um, I don't know. Fucking lefty DSA guillotine moments when um, the Harris that Garma's in the midst of play, trying to play the seduction game with says, I don't care about the problems between Zeon and the Federation. Again, half the human population. I just have the word get the guillotines Ooh, written guillotine down. Three go t- <laughs> guillotine go burn, indeed. Guillotine go guillotine go tink, tink, tink. You know, it's like a little fucking tin soldier there. But all this is to say that wrapped up in these orchestrations of like chasing glory and butts Shara just casually leads Garma into the protagonist as a murder method I, I th- so here's the great thing I think these two events happen in the same episode and I have to imagine that Shar got drunk at this party because he was there too right he was yeah. there too watching you know watching Garma have his like dumbass little star-crossed lovers thing happened and then you know afterwards they left so that he could go betray <laughs> garma and have him die so I, I have to imagine one or both of them got drunk at this party and this is one of those dan carlin moments where he's like like what how, how do you figure you know how, how many decisions do you think were made you know the history altering decisions were made by someone who was drunk Throughout history, it's gotta be it's gotta be more than a couple, right? It's gotta be a ton, right? right? So this the, the cons love to drink. Don't you think that at some point on the trail, Genghis or Kubla just look to the east and look to the west? And the reason we don't live in New Kanya is simply a right turn. <laughs> so so I um, think so it's kind of fun imagining the scene in that context. Yeah, that's fun. That's a fun point. Just 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 um just uh Char being lightly sauced, right? While, you know, watching this play out. And honest to God, that that sounds like a whole lot of fun. Just, you know, you're about three deep and you get to see, you know, act one of your revenge play out just as you'd orchestrated it. Honest to God. Sometimes you want to be Char. Like, he's empty inside. You know, he like he feels nothing for other people. So I don't think I really want to be Char. But hey, it's not empty. Again, it's full of, I like, a sort wish... of low-key smoldering resentment in my experience. Fair, fair enough. Um, but <laughs> every every now and again, I do, I do feel... I do wish that I could live out, you know, just a couple of the moments in his life. Because they seem like they were just deeply satisfied. And another reason that this thing is amusing, other than, once again, him just shouting, blame this on the circumstances of your birth as Garma burns alive. Which, again, Jeff's kiss. Is that this is the specific point in the series, I think, when the sort of general tragedy level gets dialed up from a uh, sort of a constant 7 to more of a spiking between, like, 5 and 11. Mm -hmm. And... An early tragedy spikes, albeit occasionally one of the uh, sillier ones, is Garma. I, 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 can you be a widow of a booty call? Can you be like a widow, like pre engagement? Because that's how she acts. It's kind of an interesting character in a way. 
Oh, she's the whole, like, it's the crusading widow archetype, right? Yeah. Um, except it goes about as well as it probably actually would. Yeah, it's a crusading widow archetype, only she has half a leg to stand on. Like, literally. I don't want to... When... Uh, Eastlina, right, mm-hmm. is her name, right? She tries to get her revenge, right, by... I think she she goes out either in a mobile suit or something specifically or whatever, right? she's um, she was either goading the pilot over taking the reins at one point maybe both but of this just big this oh, big yeah, um, floating that, aircraft carrier type of thing like helicarrier type thing and and she goes out and she points a gun at Amuro I believe right who is outside of his Gundam for whatever reason right and then uh, I'm gonna sound like a fucking dick here, right? Oh, we're trading um, seats. Hold on, let me um. But about some. Uh... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sound like such a fucking dick here. But like, this is what the text is giving us here. The text seems to want you to believe that, like, she just has this, I don't know, like, female moment and falls to her death. She right again dies this is... of a broken heart, Sam. It's what <laughs> fucking happened. She walks out of that plane fine, and then despair and 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 i i reiterate this is what i'm this is what i believe that the text is trying to convey to me this is not my interpretation of her character this is what i believe they are actually trying consumption to say is happening <laughs> or something it's it's a strange strange scene and i don't get it well i think that we will at least sound less like vapid fanboy cultists when i just say yeah that's weird. I'm not sure why they did that. <laughs> that's, they could have done other things. That's super weird. There are other choices <laughs> on the table. Um, if you, if you were going to have her get killed off, then I figure like a better way of doing it is, you know, sort of like a suicide by cop kind of angle or just a doomed and misjudged attempt at revenge that ends with her getting shot or something. Not, again, succumbing to vague weakness that would have been better it would have been more active for both of them instead of her falling to widow's disease which i'm sure used to be in the fucking dsm and amuro saying well i have no doubts that was weird (laughs) i didn't like that (laughs) wonder who i wish that didn't happen i guess who is that and then going back to his Um, regularly scheduled trauma carousel yeah. But I guess I shouldn't underrate that on the carousel. That was like a, a day stop on the cruise. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about the episode with his mom now? Oh, yeah, that's a uh, good idea because that is one of the uh, finest episodes of this thing. Oh, absolutely. I think it is probably my... a couple of the later episodes are really fucking yeah. cool. But I think that they, they're like the result of a culmination of a whole bunch of stuff but this is my favorite single like self-contained story in this yeah this uh, is um one of the this is the, uh, one of those nice kind of star trek land in his own stay in his own for a bit episodes and what happens here the basic setup is that amuro lands a fighter jet on earth for reasons and he runs into his mother who is a doctor and a pacifist and they have contrasting opinions about his current position and whether he should continue fighting. It's it's real great because um I had this literature mm-hmm. professor. Why did I like why do I keep making it an SH? I had this lit professor um that cool? in college who he was so fucking cool. Um and he uh he spoke of this kind of recurring type of scene, right? Which is the scene where, you know, you have characters sort of sitting there looking at, you know, the sort of scene in front of them and saying, how could this happen? Um, just as events sort of not quite beyond their control, but, you know, beyond their understanding, Right have played out and led them to the unfortunate place that they now find themselves, right? Um, And they're just kind of wondering, like, how and why. Not why could this happen to me or how could this happen to me, 
but how could this? Oh happen? yeah, yeah. The linchpin of this and episode this... is just sort of his mother stuck in that role. Where, hey, if you're a you know lifelong pacifist and your son comes back, I don't know somewhere. I guess a less dicky version of those guys from Top Gun, but with the body count. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's up there. You might be a little disappointed. Like, you might rather that he was just a complete burnout or even depending on the depths of your convictions, dead in a way. Which, by the way, this... I sing the praises of the um, the origin comic law, and it's still a great sequence in the origin, but weirdly enough, the original show here kind of balances the, the moral question between the two a little better. Like in the, oh yeah, she's played like, up to be a little bit more comic, unpleasant in to the my comic, memory. Right? I maybe I'm totally wrong here, and I just I don't know drink too much. But she in the comic, I remember her going basically from zero to I have no son. <laughs> I think when she's very upset, you know, she's she uh, when she's very upset, like around like two thirds of the way through this show, and they're in the middle of the argument, right? She's just like, oh, I'm ashamed to call you my son. Uh, but it very much feels like, you know, her saying something she doesn't mean because, like, she's angry and, you know, like, she's distraught to have seen her son, you know, become Yeah, I found all is, that much is, very you know, organic here, and I appreciated that. I appreciated the uh, timber of their discussion. Um, and, you know, you have those little things that are familiar no matter how much of a smaller scale or stakes you've had. It. Like, you've had these conversations with your parents about the direction in your life, and it captures that emotion well but the stage is much bigger which i guess ultimately is all you can really ask for from a space opera like you are just looking for the human experience on a melodramatic stage Mm -hmm. i think i mean the best moment in this uh in this episode is obviously for me um when they say goodbye right and you know she kind of doesn't know him anymore right and all he can do is salute her and then leave. There's this sort of thing that happens, right? Uh, when, you know, someone has gone off and had things happen to them, right? And you've been right here, right? And they come back and they're an entirely different person, right? To you, yeah. at the very least. But then you look at them, right? Um, and there's... I remember the um, that Chernobyl... Uh, miniseries from last year. I still haven't caught it. I am um, behind had, human civilization. It's it's a, It has a great little scene where just this soldier, right, is talking about the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, you're expecting, you know, war to change you, you know, to turn you into a different person after you've killed someone. But, you know, you kill someone, you go to sleep, you wake up, and you're still you. Um, and so, like, and... You've got that, that happening, like right? A great and sequence. then you have to. Oh, it's it was like fucking fantastic. It was Sam Core. Hey, let's upgrade our hate now. Let's tell people. Like, that, let's say that Chernobyl is anime and review Chernobyl and see just. I want to. I want to <laughs> go from like irked tweets to like letter bombs. That's my goal for my <laughs> podcasting career. I think if we want letter bombs, we need to just review um, Joe Rogan's podcast as if it is an anime and like just be as unrelenting towards it as we are towards Isekai. That's how we get motherfuckers. to. Oh, yeah, we might get some bipartisan anger on that one. Mm. It'll be a fucking Um, party. (laughs) uh, So so you have that whole experience there, right? Of, you know, just having to live with yourself you know, having changed, but still having to be you. Um, and then encountering someone, right. Who just knows you as you, right. They don't, they don't know these experiences. They have not experienced this pain. Um, they have they not think gone that a gelgoog is a funny sounding through. word. Yeah. Right. Um, they like, they don't understand the sort of, um, the sort of trauma of having to still be you even after everything. Um, so that's that's what I really like about the uh, the interactions between Amro and his mother in this um Yeah, yeah, it is extremely well-realized. And I know it's almost a... Uh, I, I shouldn't say growing the beard because the series has been interesting as a whole, you know, and has had those moments like the woman standing in the crater of her hometown. But I think that... yeah. And this is also after the scene with 
you know, Char, blame this on the circumstance of your birth. Yeah, but so I guess I could actually just say this is one of the strongest in a series of the, in a set of the sort of early iconic moments. Yeah, just to sort of, God, this sucks. Sort like, of man, thing that future is warfare is not going to be any more fun than the times we're used to. Huh? Just gonna, just gonna keep on trucking, bitch. Yeah, there's something about this that, like, this series, I think, exists partly because of Star Wars, but it is very much anti-Star Wars in its message. Yeah, there's uh, not a lot of uh, fun to be had, unless you're in Double Zeta, then for a good while, there's unless some fun to be Zeta. had. Uh, or, like, G Gundam, but again, that's a, uh, that is a G super Gu- robot Okay, show. so, I finally found a way to express my love of G Gundam. When we describe, like, Godspeed, you're like every other post-rock shit, we always, the fucking line music critics love to use is using elements of rock for purposes other than rock. And that is what fucking G Gundam is. It is using the medium of Gundam to just make joy. <laughs> <laughs> I, like... I'm trying to think if there's anything like G Gundam, you know, just among other franchises. And the closest thing I can think of off the top of my head, and it's not a it's not a charitable comparison. Um this is not intentional on my part, but I'm just thinking of Metal Gear Survive. That is very amusing. Um I would come closer to Metal Gear Rising. Yes, that's a fantastic Yeah. Like, yeah. That really absolutely. that really feels like the precise wavelength of original property to crack cokehead spinoff not crackhead cokehead very different i don't know metal gear solid always had quite a few cokehead metal gear solid was crazy but it wasn't crazy in the 4chan sense (laughs) oh car like k-u-h yeah yeah like people we weren't like punting motorcycles at people or your talking wolf friend with chainsaw tail. I uh, I think I still have the soundtrack to that game somewhere. I think the copy, like the deluxe edition, comes with the soundtrack, like just on its own CD. That's wonderful. I'm really glad you have a hard copy of that. Somewhere. That's something I God, really do I miss where. about a lot of triple and double A gaming, and actually, way more of a triple A problem. Like double is fine, but like. But just big ticket releases with that much personality don't seem to happen as much anymore. Like I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn right now. Excellent game on so many fronts, but you really can feel that the game. personal edges of that thing are just sanded off by committee. And I am supremely drifting away from the topic of Gundam right now, so I am going to wind <laughs> that one right the fuck back. Alright, fair enough. Uh there's a little episode that's sort of on an island by itself in terms of what happens, where a few Xeon soldiers take a crack at just destroying the Gundam using some infantry tactics and some bombs. It's not a great episode. I it's, it's it's weird. The um... I don't know. I guess in every other episode, this is like there's a lot going on that feeds into what happened before, what happens later, and all this stuff just feels like an island. Like I guess that just makes it. Oh god, I'm going to use the F word. I'm going to say, I'm, I get the the essence of filler there. I do like the idea that the Zeon holds a sort of fashion USO show for its soldiers on their off time with, with weird magicians. Oh yeah, that was interesting. I um I remember to make this premise work, they had to they had to really really put some scotch tape on some shit like a bunch of dudes fly around the uh, the Gundam in hover bikes, right? Plant, you know, plastic explosion explosives on it, and then leave, and then say, "Shucks! If only we had oh, remote man, so triggers." We just need to wait. If only we had remote triggers, but they're too cheap, uh, or like you know, like supply is too cheap to uh, to uh, to give us to give them to us. And I'm like. If you couldn't get the premise to work, don't use the premise. Come up with another premise for an episode and get yeah, that one Yeah, I wouldn't buy that for something set in the fucking 1980s in contemporary Earth. You're telling me in the fucking future, in our space colonies, the standard plastic explosive does not come with a does portable not come with fuck a you button. Detonator. Like, here, here's the other thing that doesn't work. 
they're on a timer, right? They're understood to be on a mm-hmm. timer, right? That requires a mechanism, right? That requires like a detonator. <laughs> that it. So like, no, I do not believe because like you're you're lying to me. You're just I fucking don't lying to me. That that is that ass. much more expensive. This is it's just it's just such a fucking strained premise and I'm just kind of frustrated sitting through it. So yeah, that's not the um series peak there, so to speak. And some of the stuff with Amuro showing a little of his growth as a soldier there is nice. Otherwise it's a slow one. This chunk of episodes also does have our peak to this point, so you know. Keep on trucking, uh, white base. The bit with Sela, you know, hijacking the Gundam for whatever reason and like again I still don't quite understand why I think it was so that she, she she's trying to figure out if her brother who she has discovered is Shar is alive basically so she has what I can only call and I don't I think usually you're only supposed to apply this term to males but you know we're in a bolden era she comes up with this dick brained scheme right to fucking <laughs> hijack the Gundam and go talk to some Xeon pilots on the front line I don't know why she needed the Gundam for this. Uh, typically, you 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 tend to just approach with a white flag. That's 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 the surrender slash. Yeah, parlay. yeah, that is a great idea. Whatever. It's um, also a thing they do in a preceding episode when they drop the fucking refugees. So clearly, communication is possible. I, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird, and it's slight force. Like, One of the things that frustrates me about Gundam sometimes, and this is recurring, like this does not stop with Mobile Suit Gundam. It happens like in every single entry in this franchise, just about. In Universal Century, I'll say. It's just people doing weird shit for barely understood reasons. Um, you just have no idea why the hell someone is doing the thing. If I were to characterize that thought, and I'm going back to the video game thing because quarantine and guess what I've been doing when we were not watching fucking anime. It really does feel like one of those but thou must video game moments. Like just in, in the corner yeah, so just of fucking Sailor's UI just... Find information about Char. Steal Gundam. I'm not sure that's a good... Steal Gundam. Steal Gundam. Uh, yeah, no, and you're just, like, playing this game, being like, no, why am I an idiot now? That's that's weird. That's weird. But, yeah, still a good crop episode. There were all some classic moments. Um, Something that's been interesting. We've been watching the uh, dub for this because that's what we've got. And there that's are voice actors of every letter grade on this, which is interesting. <laughs> It definitely oh, yeah, runs absolutely. the fucking um, gamut. It was it was one of those kind of early days of the anime boom where they were kind of just they they, they took what they could yeah, fucking get. They very much did. Um I want to say this is like 2001 or so when this got dubbed, right? So um Pokémon had crossed over not even 5 years ago. Um people were watching Dragon Ball Z, yeah, but like there was not really a culture around it. There was not really um, they didn't have any reason to throw any sort of money. Yeah, at you this. didn't you didn't see um, kids in your high school hallways with strange headbands yet. This is just sort of a fuck you, they'll buy it, or fuck you, you'll buy it sort of thing. Where it's like, look, if we could, we put this much money into it, right? This much small amount of money into it, and maybe we see like you know a little bit of a return. It's- now the returns are quite a bit larger because anime has entered the mainstream, and I'm and I'm very glad that it has. Honestly, it opens a lot of doors. It makes a lot of other things possible. It also just ensures that they will keep making these fucking shows as they make money. Yeah, I mean, like, and localization has just improved so vastly since the era of Carl Mesa. And something else to be oh, excited man. for is that it seems that someone has attached jumper cables to the idea of long form action adventure in western animation so i'm glad that seems to be happening knock it's true. on i was wood. worried for a second there yeah exactly as long as um Hiraka and you know your one piece keep doing gangbusters then fine let them in another thing i wanted to um speaking of just the whole western animation boot and this is not related to gundam we've pretty much wrapped up our take on these episodes this is in comparison to the fucking Castlevania episode. That entire action sequence that's just Isaac versus City is fucking beast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
Honestly, the thing is that it got overshadowed for me, like, literally the episode later when they go into the church basement and just like, oops, it's a portal to hell. <laughs> you know what that means, kids. <laughs> you know, it's it's Friday. You all know what yep, that means. Yep. Shout out to uh, Mr. Brody Lee, recently unshackled and now throwing in the, maybe one of the more amusing shots fired at another, at one's former manager that I've seen in my time on Earth. Uh, I did not actually catch it. What was it? All right, so I'm not saying that the his character as the Exalted One is literally Vince, but he is like <laughs> 20% Vince. It's fucking I crazy. I love it. Anyway, um, Mankind I, is um, fearing its own deeds. This is Weeaboo Hell. It's been Weeaboo Hell. I am Denard Dale, a.k.a. Blind Monkey. And I am Sam Legault, a.k.a. Mute Monkey. When World War Three rolls around, don't serve. Just don't serve. You ever seen that tweet? You're like, what, what, are, you, what if, are you fucking doing? What are you fucking doing? What if they gave a war and no one came? Like, what if World War Three was just fucking, I don't know, George Bush's kid and Putin's kid just fighting in a sandbox outside while everyone else just got drunk? Can Lovely we do that idea one? That Can I we do. do that one? Won't that be a fun time? I, uh... Why don't presidents fight the war? Why do they always send the poor? <laughs> it would be so much simpler. It would be so much simpler. The, the philosopher Serge Tankian had it all figured out. We like we had it figured out in like 2003, and we still haven't like gotten with the fucking like, program on, folks, yet. All this info is out there. In crime films, the new gang in town swerves slowly through the streets, staring down the locals. Quarantine cops kind of drive the exact same way. If they had rims, more people would stay inside. <laughs>